Brothers, be imitators together of me, and note those who walk this way, even as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, as the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is the belly, and whose glory is the, in their shame, who think about earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from where we also wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change the body of our humiliation to be conformed to the body of his glory, according to the working by which he is able even to subject all things to himself. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Welcome back, I'm Brian, and this is my Bible study podcast. We're currently walking through the books of Ecclesiastes and Philippians, and we're talking about identity, who we are, where we find our foundation, and how that transforms how we live as people who are followers of Christ. We have just a couple episodes left in the series, but we're going to keep the conversation going about what we chase being reflective of where we find our identity. So do you find your identity in the things of this world? In pride, or control, or popularity, or success, or your job, or your finances, or sex, or Instagram likes? Do you find yourself struggling with comparison, comparing your life, your family, or situation to other people? We all can struggle with these things at times. This is not a study that thinks that we can make people perfect. That's just not the case. Jesus lived the perfect life because none of us could and he bore our sins on the cross so that through faith we can be forgiven of our sins. This study instead is about what we chase after. Do you, what do you honestly strive for? Do the decisions in your life stem from an identity founded in God or from a desire to elevate yourself in this world? So these two books, Ecclesiastes and Philippians, they make it clear that we might find pleasures in this world. But the true everlasting joy, that comes from God. So maybe you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not, and you're just curious about this whole Jesus thing, or maybe you're just humoring me by checking out the podcast. I don't know, but the goal of this Bible study is to help all of us to reorient ourselves to see the joy that can come through Jesus, our Savior. And this passage in particular, it does a couple things. It calls us to discipleship, both humbly being discipled by others and sacrificially discipling others. We're called both to be grown and to walk beside others in an effort to nurture and support them in their spiritual growth. This passage reminds us of the reality that not everybody loves God as well. That not everybody fears God. Not everybody has received the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. It's a hard thing, and Paul will underline that it's a solemn thing. But it's a real thing. Some people will live a life consumed by pursuing only the things of this world, and their end, he says, will be their destruction. And that statement, it should have gravity to it. It shouldn't be dismissed offhand. And then the passage closes by reminding all believers of what's to come. We can stand firm in joy and hope because of what lies ahead. Jesus will return and accept us in glory one day. And through faith in him, we as Christians, we're going to enjoy a resurrection and a life of fellowship in the presence of our Savior. 
We can rejoice on earth while also anticipating heaven and recreation because this has been promised to us by God. And all of the promises of God find their yes through Jesus Christ. Brothers, be imitators together of me, and note those who walk this way, even as you have us for an example. Philippians 3.17 So the New Living Translation says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. So this is about discipleship, about mentorship, and ultimately it's about spiritual growth. Next week, we'll conclude the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll read that the final conclusion, the summary statement of the entire book, is encouraging us to love God, to live with a reverential fear of God, to chase after God over the things of the world, this world, and to live obediently to God's word. All of this is done through the supernatural grace of God, but it's not meant to be done alone. God exists in community, the Holy Trinity. God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is in unity with each other, as Jesus makes clear in John 17. And God gave us each other for community as well. Growth was never intended to be a solo effort. Obedience to God's word is, I would argue, impossible to do in a vacuum. Because one of the things that we've been called to be obedient toward is to interact with each other. In Philippians 3.17, Paul is encouraging his fellow believers at Philippi that they can do this, that they can press on toward the upward call of Christ that's described in the previous chapter. And he's offering himself up as an example for those who need someone to look to. But he's not just saying, look at me, look at me. He says, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. It's discipleship. People are both being discipled by someone a little further along, and they are able to disciple others as well. Without community, without accountability, and without examples to look toward, we can grow stagnant in chasing God. We can grow content with where we're at. We can easily get distracted by the things of this world and what the world appears to be offering. This call by Paul is meant to encourage and to spur each other toward growth but it also allows us to stand more firm in our identity as Christians. When we don't have that community and those examples to follow, then our temptations grow, our desires can shift, our priorities can lead us astray, we can be led astray by our own prideful imaginations, and that's what Paul wants to avoid. We're also called to avoid arrogance, pride, and authoritarian rule within the church. Peter in 1 Peter 5 reminds the leaders to shepherd the flock as examples, not to lord it over others. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul declares, Be imitators of me even as I also am of Christ. You see, we don't follow people to be more like those people. We follow the example set by certain people to make us more like Christ. Biblical discipleship, it's not following the steps laid out by somebody else so that you can reach the same level of worldly success as that person. I mean, you can be a disciple of Jesus and be successful. But if you're following someone hoping to achieve what they have achieved materially in this world, that's not biblical discipleship. That's a pursuit of prosperity, not of Jesus. Paul loves the church at Philippi, and he wants to see it thrive and rejoice in their biblical identity. 
The same is true today. God loves the church, the body of Christ, and God wants his people to find joy and steadfastness in their identity. Not an identity built around themselves or their politics or their opinions and their arguments, but built around who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping as the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is the belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who think about earthly things. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. So this passage comes from Paul with sincerity and seriousness. He's not gloating that he's saved or that he's a Christian leader or that he's an example to the flock. He's delivering his statement solemnly, even weeping, he says. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we've talked a lot about the Hebrew word hevel, about the futility and the meaninglessness of making things in this world, things of this world, your goal. So here, Ecclesiastes and Philippians collide, because the people Solomon declares in Ecclesiastes are chasing after the wind, trying to feel fulfilled by some worldly pursuit, Those are the same people that Paul refers to here as those who think about earthly things. Again, it's not about like a literal situation where someone thinks about an earthly thing that is going to doom them forever. No, this is about a pattern. It's a way of life, an identity that pushes God off to the side and instead seeks after whatever worldly pleasures seem most important at the moment. Having to repent over a worldly desire or an an indulgence That's not living as the enemy of Christ. I would argue that that's actually believing in the power of the cross, in the forgiveness of sins that Jesus makes a way for. No, this is talking about running away from God unrepentantly, desiring the world more than you desire God, living for the indulgences of the world instead of living for God. Romans 8.5 says those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Remember, because of our identity as a Christian, we're going to stand apart from the world. But don't let that be a discouragement for us. As we read in the next verse, our citizenship as believers, it's not of this world. And that should transform how we live. For our citizenship is in heaven, from where we also wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change the body of our humiliation to be conformed to the body of his glory, according to the working by which he is able even to subject all things to himself. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. So where does our expectant hope and our joy stem from? It comes from who we are in Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. I have heard it termed that we live as resident aliens in this world right now, but that our true citizenship, where we truly belong, is the world yet to come. We live in both the here and the yet to come. The ESV translation of 1 Corinthians 15.49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. So this should be uniting. It should play into our community and our discipleship. 
Ephesians chapter 2 closes out, So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for the habitation of God in the Spirit. So we might reside as resident aliens, as citizens of heaven, but we're not alone. We walk with others who share our same citizenship. We can all encourage each other as we side by side expectantly wait for Jesus' return. The passage also makes clear that his return will not disappoint. It will be glorious, and he will conform the bodies of those of us who have faith in him to the body of his glory. The Christian Standard Bible says in verse 21 that he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, and that he can do this by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Colossians 3.4 says that when Christ our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So this should be encouraging to us. It should cause us to rejoice. But it should also spur us toward growth and obedience and community and expectation. It should cement our identity, not in the things of this world, but in him who has overcome this world. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses are from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Next week, we're planning on finishing out both Ecclesiastes and Philippians. Until then, though, I love y'all.